0: So my name is Paul Dysinger, this is my wife, Natasha, and yes, yay, that's right. Um, We're excited to be talking with you about patio gardening. This, yet last year, has been an adventure for us with patio gardening. We'll tell you a little bit more um, about our story and how we ended up here and what we've been doing um, in this uh, presentation. But real quick, just to give you a vision of what's possible, Mother Earth News had this article not too long ago. I don't know the actual date. I guess it was back in 2009, 2010. A lady was sharing about how she grew $700 worth of food in 100 square feet in her backyard. And says Americans would realize astonishing savings on their grocery bill if they set aside a small amount of land for edible landscaping instead of growing so much grass. So our our session here is, is titled Patio Gardening. Uh, And we're going to talk a lot about growing on a patio and in containers, but we're also recognizing that this is more than just patio gardening, it's growing in a small space. So maybe you want to grow in a flower bed or, you know, to tear up just a a raised bed or to tear up a little bit of your lawn. We're talking about how you can grow in abundance in a very small um, space. Why don't we pray real quick before we get started? Heavenly Father we invite your presence to come and be in this room as we talk about growing food even if we're in tight spaces and pray that your angels would move with us and guide us in Jesus name amen amen, amen. amen. so a quick little overview of what we're gonna be talking about today we're gonna to start out talking about planning your garden planting your garden maintaining your garden and then harvest. All in the context of growing in a small space, because it is different than growing in uh, larger spaces, as we've learned from
1: experience. Hmm. So how do, how do we handle this, sweetheart? Will you just hold it? Yeah, okay. try. So after we got married in the beginning of 2016, oh, wow. I moved to the farm in Tennessee with Paul. And we were living in our tiny house, on a lot of land, and it was awesome. And so we had a portion of that that was in, uh, in crops. Um, Paul's parents were also market gardening that year, so they were growing down in front of our house, and then we were growing down in front of our house, and then there was just this large amount of, you know, grass beyond that, and then beyond that, the fields, and the neighbor hazed the fields. So it was just this tiny house and a lot of land. And then last March, we moved up to Virginia, For uh, temporarily, we still have our home in Tennessee, but we temporarily moved up to Virginia to work in the Finley's Evangelism Training School. And up there, we are living. Okay, up there, we are living in a basement apartment of a large house on a very, very small amount of land. So it's kind of from one extreme, the tiny house, a lot of land, to a large house and a tiny amount of land. It's just a little postage stamp. Of land and so when we moved up there we were like okay readjust here we go from having all this land and a hoop house to having just basically lawn and we're not the homeowners we're just living in the basement apartment and so we can't tear up the grass right because it's not our lawn to put in some crops and there's some flower beds but they want them landscaped, so they don't want us planting in the flower beds So that took at that option and so basically what we had, they were very generous and they were OK with us growing on their back patio. So that left us with the patio and some steps going down into our basement apartment. And that's what we had as options for growing. And then, of course, you have indoors, too. But we live in, when you're growing indoors, you have to do lighting. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Um, but you know, we live in a basement. So anything that we grow down there, you're going to be having to do artificial lighting, right? So we had to readjust the way we thought about growing. And we did, and we grew an amazing amount, and we loved it. We learned so much in the process. And I'm going to tell you what, if you have a very small space, if you have just a back patio, or even if you live in an apartment and you're going to have to only grow inside, there are options. Don't give up. Go for it, and you will not be sorry. Yeah.
0: As we go through this, we're going to be sharing with you our successes and our failures, (laughs) you know, because we learned things over this last year. Uh, Like Natasha said, growing in a patio is a lot different than growing on a farm or growing in a large garden. Um, And so there were things that we learned and we could have had a much larger harvest than we did if we knew some of the things at the beginning. So we'll take you through the whole process and share with you those things. But it was really neat um, because forcing us to grow uh, in our patio garden opened up a, a whole new world. Uh, Natasha and I run an a online garden training school where we teach people through step-by-step <laughs> step how to grow their own food. And, you know, pr- prior to this, most of our experience was doing large gardens. But we realized that a lot of people, like many of you in here probably, have small areas that you're trying to grow in. And how can you maximize that potential? And so getting the experience ourselves um, enables us to be able to share with you some of those tips and ideas um, from our garden. So starting out with planning your garden. The first thing that you want to do when you're dealing with a small space or one of the first things that you want to do is start looking at what locations do you have available to you. And this, so you want to start looking around your house, your growing area. Uh, And one thing that you'll want to do is Try look for places that get the most sunlight. Um, if you were just in our recent class, you know some of the same principles uh, uh, apply uh, for a large garden or a small one. Look for a place that gets the most sunlight. Thankfully for us in this situation, this back this is a picture of our back patio um, and our garden growing, and we'll tell you a little bit more about it. Um, but thankfully in our situation, this back patio, this side of the house was the southern facing side of the house. Oh which gets the most sunlight and so it was really the perfect ideal location to put our garden which was a real blessing because i don't know if they would have wanted all of the plants on the front side of the house so (laughs) it was a good um situation Uh, but hon what kinds of places would you be looking for
1: so you would be looking for potentially flower beds you'd be looking for any deck space Porch space. Although you know the advantage for porches for humans is that they're shaded, the disadvantage for porches for plants is that they're shaded. So you begin to be looking at lighting. So porch space, deck space, um, any patios, any um, even steps. You can. You'd be surprised how much you can grow on steps. We learned that this last year. <laughs> so even steps, and maybe if you're in an apartment and you have absolutely zero outdoor space then you'd be looking at what location inside your apartment could you maybe have a little stand where you'd be growing something and have some grow lights a balcony balcony, absolutely so just look be super creative the you know the tinier your space the more creative you need to be even little windowsills or anything like that if you do have a little yard maybe you can think about you know the the lady in the news clip from Mother Earth News where she grew, you know, it's just 10 by 10. That's not very big, but she was able to grow a lot of produce in that. Or um, maybe a little raised bed. So just think about your space. Think creatively. What little locations can I tuck some plants, preferably the more sunshine, the better, or do I need to be thinking about alternative light for my plants?
0: And then the other thing is when you're dealing with a small location, Another thing to keep in mind, speaking about creatively, is can I start growing vertically versus on the ground? And so in our situation, uh, we did that specifically with the tower that you see in the middle there. It's called a tower garden, and we'll tell you a little bit more about it, but it really was a game changer in our patio garden um, with what we were growing. It gave the opportunity to grow a lot more food in the square footage that was right there by growing vertically versus just in regular containers. Um, Another thing is to take advantage of the microclimates, uh, like Natasha was just uh, sharing. When you're looking around the different locations, I'll give you one example of this here. This, well, a couple. This is the southern-facing side of the house, so we get the most sunlight here. So we've got our tomato plants here. And they really like a lot of sun, all right? You know, they want eight to 10 hours of sun a day, and that is great. We've got our our pepper plants and a couple eggplants over here. And then here we've got some basil and a bunch of greens. Now, what we did when when we first, this is actually our second planting on our tower garden. Our first planting on our tower garden, uh, we had some squash down below. And what we did is we put the cold, cold... cooler weather crops on the back side of the tower where they would get more shade and we put the crops that like more sun like the basil and the squash on the front side of the tower they would get more sun. So you're, you're starting to think about microclimates. Um, what are s- small different um, small tweaks that you can do to maximize your space. Uh, so that worked, that worked well. Now the nice thing about this tower garden is it can spin Um, So you can you can rotate it if if you need to but another thing that we did similar with that is and we'll show you a picture later on but behind the tomatoes here we have a little herb um, container that's up next to the patio uh, next to the deck I should say the stairs coming down and that is a spot that gets more shade right because you've got the stairs by it and the sun goes over and it casts shade on it much earlier in the day. So we put our herbs there because they don't need as much sunlight. So you start thinking about microclimates um, when you've got a small space. The places that get more shade, you're going to be putting your herbs and some of your greens. The places that get more sun, you put the plants that need more sunshine. Um, And then you have uh, raised beds and containers as options. of what you're going to be growing in uh, in those locations. So maybe you're growing in a raised bed or containers like we have here or a tower garden uh, like we have in the picture there. And then the next step, and these are kind of all together because they go together. The next step is choosing what to grow and then choosing which crops go, go where. So what you want to do is sit down with a piece of paper and write down all the different things that you want to grow. You may not be able to grow every single thing that you write down, but it'll give you a starting place to get started from. So write down everything that you want to grow, and then you start choosing where you're going to plant those crops. And that may depend on your microclimate. So you see how this whole process all fits together. And you say, after you've written down everything that you want to grow, then you say, oh, I've got all of these herbs here and i'm going to be putting them over in this corner because it gets a little bit more shade and i need the sunlight space for the tomatoes (coughs) Is, is everyone tracking does that make sense
1: or alternatively if this if this was our home and we could have the option of planting in some of the flower beds there are more you know aesthetically pleasing plants that you can plant maybe amongst the other shrubbery or the flowers, so maybe on the east or the west side of the house where they have some beds that have landscaping, we would consider putting some of the leaf vegetables there that don't need as much sun, and that could also potentially extend their season further into the summer, from the spring into the summer, because those sides of the house are a little bit cooler, so you want to think about those things, too. You'll see on the back here, the back of the patio, because it's sitting on you know, on paved stone. And alternatively, in a little bit, you'll see pictures of our steps going down. And we could have put some things down at the bottom of the stairs entering into our apartment. The problem with that is that it's all cement and stone. And so that location gets much hotter, right? And then additionally, um, even just sitting on the patio it gets hotter because the, those rocks absorb the sun and so they're getting hot from above and hot from below and so the, the the leaves in particular the leafy vegetables the kale, the chard, the collards they don't like that heat so much so you can sort of be creative about okay is this a crop maybe the tomatoes that need more warmth or is this something that needs more cool and then look at your space and and, and plant them creatively based on that
0: Yep. so when you're dealing with small spaces um, Creativity comes in handy, Mm -hmm. Um, thinking about and and taking the time to spend a little bit more time to think about your specific situation and what can can grow where uh, in it. So the first step is planning your garden, making that list of things that you want to grow and figuring out where you're going to grow them. (coughs) If you're going to get a tower garden, if you're going to grow in a raised bed, which flower beds you're going to use and start (coughs) mapping out where they're going to grow. The next step is planting your garden. And this is right when we just started planting. We just transplanted the greens in the tower. You can see our tomatoes are just transplanted in here. And our herbs are behind that bush, I think. Um, <clears throat> so the next step is planting your garden. And the big question, especially when it comes to containers um, and for for both pots, container pots, and the tower garden, if you're growing in a container, is um, you know, what soil mix are you going to use? And w- what is the most ideal for growing in that situation? It really starts with the soil. Whether you're growing in a container or whether you're growing in the main garden, the soil makes a big difference. And so if you're going to grow in a container, we highly suggest using a potting mix to grow in. Um, it's, a, it's like a soilless mix. It doesn't actually have soil from the ground outside, but it's a mix that is mixed together and then you add nutrients to it and we'll talk about that in a, in a minute um, here, what kinds of fertilizer you would use. But some tips on the, the mix itself. What happens with regular soil, like you can take soil out of the garden and put it in your container what happens often though is that it easily compacts and becomes very heavy uh, for your plants and so the main benefit or one of the main benefits for using a soilless mix is that it keeps your soil that your plants are growing in light and fluffy usually these mixes um, have a peat moss base that's kind of the base to them uh, is, is peat moss and they'll have a mix of peat moss compost and then um, oftentimes they'll maybe have like a nutrient mix mixed in with them already. Um, and then also these little white dots. So you guys have uh, done, seen the little potting mixes where they have the little white dots. Those white dots are called vermiculite. Um, or another one is called perlite. And they, what they do is they help with um, holding water. And they also help with drainage. They just add a little space in the in the mix to help with drainage, uh, water drainage. So that's helpful. So the main thing that I would look at with getting a a soil mix is to make sure that it's a peat moss base. What here's what you don't want, and what you can easily end up with if you just go to the store and get a mix for a potting mix you can easily end up with a mix that when you take it out of the bag it looks like kind of half decomposed bark chips and I that I would not suggest growing in that all right um you can you can get those mixes at the store and this is why I'm telling you about it because oftentimes that's what will be sold as a potting mix um I would personally go with a peat moss base it's it's lighter and um it has Usually some compost mixed in with it, like I said. And so you just look at the ingredients and you say, and what you're looking for, the main things you're looking for is peat moss, compost, and um, usually it will have like the perlite or the vermiculite. And oftentimes they'll also have like a microbial um, inoculant in it as well. Like they add a bunch of microbial life to it. Um, as well with the compost and that can be he- uh, really beneficial uh, for your garden as well it'll keep your plants um, healthier and the soil lighter the next question yes can you, use coconut core? you can use coconut core if you want to mix up you know if you go to the store it's really hard at least I haven't found a pre-mixed that uses coconut core. But um, some people do have like a concern about the sustainability of peat moss, and so like you want to go with coconut core, and that's absolutely possible. You can go with coconut core and mix one up yourself, um, and then I would do like, um, well, I can I can give you like the soil mix that we make ourselves, uh, um, that we've done ourselves. So, um, what we what we've done is. Now, it's been like a year since I've been on the farm, so I gotta see if I can remember it. Um, we would do three, three parts of peat moss, or you could replace it with the coconut core, and three parts of, um, of compost. So it's like three parts of peat moss, three parts of compost, and one part of the perlite vermiculite, and mix that all together. Trying to think if and then you would and then we would add a fertilizer mix to that to add the 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 nutrients to it. Yeah, we like if you were using worm castings, you would replace the compost with worm castings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we we've done it with worm castings uh, too. So that's an excellent excellent way. So three parts, and if you want to, if you want like our official recipe, because we have it broken down into like you know one gallon this, one gallon that, um, etc. cetera, um, I can give that to you, like, in a... I can try and see if I can upload it with the presentation, um, if you guys are interested in the presentation. Or they can come by the booth later. Yeah, or you can come by our booth, but that's a great one. All right, so the next thing is your fertilizer, and um, we go... I talk a little bit more about the fertilizer a little later, but what... It's, it's incredibly um, important when growing in a patio, specifically when you're growing in a container or a tower garden, your fertilizer becomes much more important. See, out in the ground, it's going to have some nutrients in there already. But here, you're adding whatever it's going to get, right? So it's, incru- it's crucial to have a good fertilizer um, to be using. So we'll share with you the best one that we have found so far that works the best. Um, And then for raised beds and for flower beds, you want to work on building up that soil that is already there. And that can include um, adding some of the same fertilizer that you would put inside the um, containers, or even on just more of a fundamental level, adding some compost to that soil, mixing it in, building up the soil in your flower bed. All right. Is there anything that missed there you want to add? All right. So the next step here is choosing your containers. What size do you need uh, when it comes to growing on a patio for the plants that you have? Um, Here is an area where a lot of people make a mistake when growing plants in containers. And it's a mistake that I've made. before, and that is, it's easy to think that you can fit more plants into a container than actually will grow well in the size of the container, (laughs) underestimating the size that you need for the plants that you're growing. Plants actually like to have a good amount of space. So, um, in our online course, we have a, a specific little course online for small space patio gardening. And I share on there uh, a resource that actually gives a recom- recommendation of container size for the different sizes of um, gardens. And again, I can give you the link if you're, if you're interested in it. Uh, just stop by our booth or come talk to us. Um, but here's, here's a general rule of thumb to go by, all right? The smaller plants can handle smaller containers, and larger plants can handle larger containers. <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, so I'll give you some examples so that you can visualize it for yourself when it comes to your garden. If you're growing a tomato, a tomato is what a large plant, exactly. A tomato you'll want to grow in a in a container that is around a five-gallon bucket size. A five-gallon bucket size. Um, So the containers that we grew our tomatoes in weren't five-gallon buckets. You can grow them in a five-gallon bucket. If you do that, you want to make sure and put a drainage hole in the bottom so that you don't end up waterlogging your plant. So when you're looking at containers, you do want to make sure they have a hole in the bottom for it to be able to drain. Um, But for a large plant like a tomato, you want a five-gallon bucket size. For a little bit of a smaller plant like a pepper or an eggplant, you can come down to like a 12 inch pot 12 to um, 18 inch pot um, these pots here were about this tall by about a foot around and they grew our eggplants and peppers very well in them um, so you can see how you come as the plant gets a little smaller you can go to a little bit smaller of a pot now lettuce plants um, are a little bit smaller you know you can use an 8 to 12 inch pot for a lettuce uh, plant same for like a a kale plant or a collard plant Uh, i would i would go closer to the 12 inch pot for kale and collards though even Um, yeah
1: i'll just add to that Um, when we were working with the tower garden and by the way if you have a small space we cannot say enough good things about tower gardens they really are awesome. So if you have a really small space, really seriously consider investing in that. And even you know if we move back to a place where we have a lot of space, like if we go back to a tiny house on the farm, I would say that I would keep that tower garden and I would probably plant something like strawberries in it. because that tower garden has space for 50 plants. And 50 strawberry plants can produce a really nice crop of strawberries for you. or you can add two more layers and have up to 70 plants plus the surface so you can grow quite a bit in that tower garden but you want to be growing things that can tolerate smaller amounts of root space because by the end well actually by probably a month in that that um, tower garden is just like solid roots all those plants in there and the tower garden actually advertised that you could grow squash in it so we were like okay let's give it a try let's let's grow try to grow some squash in the lower level of the tower garden. I would not do it again because it really just is not enough space for that plant. It's a lot larger so if I when we grow squash again this next summer we'll just give it its own pot, as large of a pot as we can possibly give it. And just leave the tower garden to roots, herbs, you know, pardon me, not roots, the the herbs, the leaves, the um, maybe even small roots like radishes or something on top. But just th- those are the sort of things that Forte in the, in the Tower Garden, they do much better. Yep.
0: Excellent. All right. So that's uh, some quick tips when it comes to choosing your containers and what sizes you need. Uh, there is kind of a neat thing, and that is self-watering containers. How many of you have heard of self-watering containers? All right. Yes. Yeah. Some of you, some of you have experience using them? Awesome. Um, basically, what it is is it creates a reservoir um, underneath, and then your plant, uh, your your container, um, so you have a reservoir of water at the bottom, and then you have a wicking system that comes up to the soil, and it wicks the water up at a natural rate, kind of like when you put a T-shirt in water, and the water starts rising up the T-shirt, so it wicks it up at a natural rate, and you don't have to water your plant. Or... I should say you only have to water it much less frequently, like every couple weeks, you know, it might use up the water in that reservoir and then you just refill the the reservoir. So you can actually make your own self-watering planters and we have a little video online um, in our online course where we show you how to make a self-watering planter for yourself um, that you can use. Or you can buy them uh, self-watering planters from the store and they can be really helpful when it comes to watering it helps with two things. One, it helps with a lot of people struggle with how much should I be watering my plants? Am I overwatering them? Am I underwatering them? Um, what's happening? And I get that question that comes, that comes back to me from gardeners. And so the self-watering, you don't have to worry about it because it waters it at a natural weight, and you never have to worry about overwatering or underwatering. The, other, the second thing that it helps with is Just the fact that you don't have to worry about forgetting to water your plants. And you can go for a much longer time without watering them. Uh, We'll share a little bit later on uh, briefly about growing microgreens. And it was a real game changer with our microgreens. I set them up on a self-watering system. I, I invented like a little tray system that would water themselves. And Natasha and I could literally plant the microgreens. And we could go on a trip. We did this. We went on a trip. Um, I think it was to the ag conference last year or to some other weekend trip. We came back 14 days later. Uh, I, we didn't come back 14 days later, but 14 days after we planted them, we came back and harvested them, and we never had to touch them in between, and they just grew beautifully. Uh, so it's kind of like it grows on autopilot by itself. Um, so those can be very helpful in your garden uh, to set them up with a self-watering system. You don't have to worry about forgetting to water them, and they'll thrive on their own. Uh, so we talked about the tower garden, and Natasha was sharing it with you, like, literally. We would encourage anyone to get a tower garden. Um, the tower garden we use is from a website called Garden Tower Project, I think. Um, I can give you a link to it uh, as well, so... Come and talk to us afterwards if you're interested in one. All right. Then what about planting your garden when it comes to the actual varieties?
1: With this one, I think you largely are going to have to do trial and error for your circumstances and your microclimates around the house. You know, are you looking, And maybe you need a, a type that's more heat resistant because of where it's placed, or maybe you need something that is more Um, maybe it doesn't drain very well maybe you're growing in a in a um, flower bed and it doesn't have that great of drainage so look for varieties that have the strengths that you need dependent in your microclimates and then just by experimentation find out what works for you for instance in our little our little herb pot there this this is is the
0: pot by the stairs yeah
1: that gets that gets more shade and this is not too long after we planted it but i'll tell you all the way on the uh, right hand side is some cilantro it's hard to see kind of in that picture and i i transplanted that cilantro in there and it was the most unhappy thing like it immediately tried to bolt and it really shouldn't have been bolting quite that or that that quick because um, it really wasn't quite hot enough for it to be doing, and I started. I was trying to snip it back, and finally I was like, you know what? If you if you don't want to do this, <laughs> I'm not going to fight you. So the cilantro was just upset, and immediately I don't know if it was because of the way they handled it previously at the nursery. Then you can see there's there's the curly parsley all the way on the left-hand side, and I put that thing in there, and it sat all season, hardly grew, was not very happy either. And in the middle I put Italian parsley, and I tell you what, that thing took over the rest of the herb box it was beautiful all season all the way through the heat of the summer all the way into the fall after several I mean that was the most resilient stuff and furthermore like because of where herb pot was was located it was behind the other taller plants and so I forgot about it continually I chronically did not water it it went through every kind of abuse and it's still that Italian parsley was still radiant you know what this year I'm just planting Italian parsley because I don't why should I fight with this you know this other stuff that feels like it's being stressed out? I may try some of the others again in their own thing, but I'm going to dedicate something to Italian parsley because it grows well in that area, in that little microclimate in that situation, and plus it's really resilient to if we if we leave on trips or something and it doesn't get watered, it handles it very well so just by you know by experimentation, find out. What works well, dependent on your microclimates around your house, on your patio, on your deck, wherever it is, and then just stick with those. So that may take some some you know experimentation, some trial and error, some seeing some happy plants and seeing some very unhappy plants, but you'll learn and, and, and you know go with what works well.
0: Yeah. All right, so yeah, figure out, and it may take some trial and error, like Natasha said, to find the best variety that works for you in your situation. Then there's the question about direct seeding versus transplanting. Now, the, the difference, if anyone is just kind of wondering what the difference between that is, direct seeding is planting the seed directly into the area that it's going to grow up to its mature state. Transplanting would be starting a seed like inside and then transplanting it out. Um, in, a, in a container gardening world, it's a little bit more forgiving to planting your plant directly into the container. Like, you can seed it directly into the container. If you did that, I would encourage you to seed more than you want and then thin back Uh, because you can easily, like, if you just plant, like, say you have a container and you want to plant kale, if you just put one seed in and it doesn't germinate, then You've got to plant another seed, and then you're late, you know, and you're just wasting time. So plant a, a few seeds as they sprout, thin them back down to the one that you want to keep. Um, at the same time, I I like to transplant, and maybe that's partly because, grow, you know, living on the farm for so many years, that's what we did all the time. But the nice thing about it, too, is that you can start all of your plants in a Environment that you can control a little bit more. Um, you can give your plants the best possible start in life, and you can start them in a small space so you can take care of all of them at once in a small area, and then you can transplant them out to the pots that you're going to grow them in. So, I personally would encourage transplanting most of them. Now, the ones that you might want to direct seed would be like if you're growing radishes or something where you have a lot more seeds in a location um, or uh, even spinach, like we direct seeded some spinach on the top of our tower garden. You'll see a picture of it um, on top, and that worked well. And here's a little tip to maximize your, uh, your harvest from that area. So with our spinach, we planted our spinach really thick. Um, and then as they grew up, uh, we let them grow for a little bit, and then we thinned them and we, and we could eat the thinnings, right? So you get more harvest from your area. So you eat the thinnings, you let it grow a little bit bigger, and you can thin it again, and you can eat those thinnings that are a little bigger, and then your plants are thinned to the right space for them to really grow and thrive. And um, then you can start harvesting your spinach as an adult plant and eat those. So you're harvesting along the whole way, right? And you're getting more from your space. Wow. Um, And then there is growing indoors, when it comes to growing indoors. If you are going to grow indoors, um, microgreens are the easiest and the, well, frankly, they're the easiest thing to grow indoors. Um, Like Natasha was saying earlier on, if you're growing indoors, you're probably going to have to deal with lighting to a certain extent. Unless you have an area of your house that has good windows that get lots of sunshine, Then you can possibly, like we have a friend um, up in Montana that has a tomato plant that they've been growing indoors all winter long and it was producing tomatoes and it was happy and it was growing inside but they had it by a window that got um, that got sunlight. So that is an option if you've got some windows. Um, if you're growing indoors, think of where does it get the most sunlight in my house and then you could possibly put some plants there. Herbs are a great one to grow indoors if you want to grow them inside because they don't need quite as much sunlight so you could put them in a window um, and grow some herbs. Like that.
1: Artificial lights.
0: Then you can use artificial lights as well. Um, and arti- you can get specific grow lights. Um, they, they're a little more expensive to get um, grow lights that are specifically designed for growing plants. Um, but another option, like if you're growing. I'll use the example of microgreens again. If you're growing microgreens, you can use regular fluorescent bulbs. Like you can just get at Lowe's. You can get a, a, a fluorescent bulb stand. You know, one that is, you know, I don't know about that big, and it's got the bulbs in it, and you can just put it like in your shop type situation. And you put the fluorescent bulbs in it. The thing with regular fluorescent bulbs is that they need to be close to the plants. So a grow light can be a little bit farther away from your plants, but the regular fluorescent bulbs need to be within a few inches of your plants as they're growing. So you might want to get a, a tray system that you put your plants on that you're growing, and then you have the fluorescent bulbs on top of them, and you can hang the fluorescent bulbs on with like a chain that you can lift, like raise or lower, the whole lighting system as the plants grow. Does that make sense? Um, So that's the main thing to keep in mind when you're getting lights, is that if you're using fluorescent bulbs, you may need to lift them up and lower them down as the plants grow because they need to be close. Um, Otherwise, a grow light can just stay up at a higher level. And that is about lighting. Alright, so what about maintaining your garden as it's growing? Let's talk real quick about watering. It's very easy in a container gardening situation with growing in containers for your plants to get water stress because the container, um, like I mentioned before, you want to make sure that it has good drainage, that you have holes in the bottom of the container for the water to go out. If you don't, then your, waters can, your containers can get waterlogged and your plants uh, can drown and die that way. But when it's got good drainage, they can dry out very quickly too, especially if they are out in a sunny area, because the sun just beats down on them, and they've got plenty of area for the water to evaporate and to drain out. So your plants can end up with water stress. Um, So let me tell you a little story uh, of ours. We kind of faced this head on in our gardening situation with, you know, we've got these tomatoes, eggplant, pepper, tower garden with all of these greens. And Natasha and I, um, we do a significant amount of travel, and that can be a real difficulty when it comes to maintaining a garden, no, nevertheless maintaining a container garden, because uh, literally the container, containers, like, we would have to be watering them every other day uh, to keep them moist. Otherwise, they're drying out because of all of the sunshine. So we ended up coming up to a situation where we were going to be traveling for, I don't know, a week or... There was one time where we were gone for like two weeks. And literally for days ahead, I was thinking, what am I going to do with my garden? How in the world am I going to keep my garden watered through that whole time? Because I I realized that with the whole situation, uh, we were going to be gone. And the people that could have possibly come and watered our garden, they were either going to be gone or busy. And so there wasn't any good solution to watering it. And finally, the day before we left, this thought came into my mind, and I was like, hey, I wonder if I mulch my containers if it will hold the water and the moisture in. Mm. And I just never thought of that before. Um, Nobody had ever, you know, mentioned it before to me, and and so I was like... I wonder if I mulched them, if it would hold them in. So I went out there and, you know, in the fla- on the flower beds, the flower beds are mulched, right? So I went and I took the mulch from the flower beds and stuck it onto my containers. And then um, I'll show you a picture later on uh, with our tomato plants. Underneath the deck that was there, they had like a gravel base. And so I took the rocks, and I mulched the container with the rocks. The the key thing is just to create a layer, a covering, so that it keeps the water from evaporating. So we mulched our containers, watered them, just soaked them real good, and left and it was amazing when we came back our containers did good and for the rest of the season we would water we'd only have to water every week every couple weeks to keep our containers doing well so it really cut down on the watering it was almost like going back to a self-watering system Um, but without the self-watering system it just held the moisture in there so that's that, that is a really key tip that will save you a lot of time with your um container garden yeah uh, I guess I have self-watering planters in there again. What about fertilizing your containers? Here's another thing that, uh, remember I told you at the beginning, we'll share with you our, our mistakes and our failures as well as our successes. And when it came to fertilizing, this started out as a little bit of a failure for us. We started out and uh, I was, we were growing in our tower garden and in our, in our little pots and our plants were doing good at first. And I started out using this BioThrive uh, vegan plant food. It's a liquid fertilizer that has all natural ingredients in it. And I would, you know, mix it with water and uh, give it to the plants. And the plants just were not doing that good, not doing that good. And I was trying to figure out why, where, why are they not doing that good? Yeah, we, we, we use it uh, for microgreens, and it works great for the microgreens, but... For some reason, for my plants, they just weren't doing good. And I was trying to think, like, is it because um, it's just washing through really quickly? Because that can be a problem with containers is the nutrients can wash out of the container easily. So I was thinking, is it just washing through really quickly? Because I would, like, fertilize, and then it would rain really hard. And then uh, I was thinking maybe it was washing through. But after a while, I realized that with the liquid nutrient and it actually says it on the container i should have paid more attention to it earlier on but this has most of your main nutrients but it doesn't have um, calcium and magnesium which is really important for your plants as well and so they say you should supplement with a calcium magnesium product well i could not find any natural organic liquid calcium magnesium um, source uh, usually people use like a synthetic fertilizer. Well, I didn't want to use a synthetic fertilizer with my crops, and I I like I like using natural uh, sources of for nutrients. But um, in fact, I didn't even like using the liquid fertilizer as much because um, I know that natural fertilizers like rock powders and stuff like that are better for your plants, anyways, um, than the liquid fertilizers. So <clears throat> even though this is a natural liquid fertilizer. Um, So after doing quite a bit of research, I finally found this all natural vegan fertilizer mix that has a really good source of um, all of your main nutrients, plus the calcium and the magnesium, and uh, you know micronutrients as well. There's a couple reasons why I like this, but first of all, I'll tell you. So I got it, and my plants were all grown up. Like my tomatoes are big, my peppers are big, and now I've got to figure out how am I going to use uh, this fertilizer. So I got it. It's a it's a powder fertilizer because it's it's got rock powders in it. It's got like powdered kelp meal. You know, just natural fertilizers that you can add to your garden, all mixed up together, and so I opened the box and took it out, and I had to go and take off all of the mulching that I had put onto my containers. And I scratched it into the top of the container and then watered it in to the plants. And I, I can tell you, I should have put up a couple pictures of like a before and after, but literally our plants just took off. Um, after fertilizing with this uh, f- fertilizer. Like the, our greens, our Swiss chard got leaves that were like huge, um, way bigger than my hands. Our tomatoes took off and started producing tomatoes. Um, our eggplant, the flavor was amazing. Like literally, and I'm not even joking, because um, we, we sat down one time, we, we got a pepper from our pepper plant, and we sat down and had a lunch with the uh, couple that we're staying with. Um, and we added it to the salad. And I tasted this pepper. And it literally tasted better than the peppers that we had grown on the farm, which is Ooh. saying a lot <laughs> I, to this day. I don't even know why. It's like, it, it did. And Natasha can yeah. attest um, to it. So they, it, it's really good. It's, called, it's from the company called Down to Earth All Natural Fertilizers. Uh, you can get them on Amazon, or we have a store online where, that you can go to and get this from. It's called store.borntogrow.net um, is our own little store that you can get it, and it will link you over to Amazon um, to, to purchase it. So, a question right there.
1: so if, yes.
0: Yes, so if you use this, I just wouldn't worry about the BioThrive. In fact, I'm thinking of transferring my microgreens over to this um, even, but right now we're using the BioThrive for the microgreens. Um, But yeah, this is what I would encourage uh, using. And with it being a vegan mix, it just is kind of um, encouraging that you don't have to worry about questionable sources from animal products. I'm not totally against using any animal products. Um, I just like to do my research to find out where they're coming from. Um, so, But with this, you can just, um, you know you don't have to worry about it. All right. Questions. Yes. About how much would you put on like a pepper plant or a
1: tomato
0: plant? hmm Would you put it like on one plant, like a teaspoon of that stuff, or? Um, No, it's a little bit more, a little bit more than a teaspoon. So it has recommendations on the box per like gallon of mix. And when I did it, like, with my tomato plants and my pepper plants, I put probably about close to a cup of it on my um, the pepper and tomato plants, like between half a cup to a cup. Um, so it's it, – yeah.
1: Yeah. as far as when you want to mix it in, if your pot is –
0: Yeah, so you can do it at the surface like we did, uh, specifically like when our plants were already grown. And with a tomato plant, you'll probably want to do that partway through the season anyways just to give it an extra boost of nutrients. They suggest doing it like um, on the box. I think they suggest adding a little bit more like every month um, just because you're in a container and the nutrients um, can be uh, watered out as well. So they, and tomatoes are heavy feeders, so they're gonna be using a lot of nutrients, so you can scratch it in at the top. But when you're planting originally, I would mix some of this into your whole me, uh, potting mix. Yes, because you'll find, because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you'll find out, like, when you start growing your tomatoes and you take them out later on, there'll be roots that go all the way down to the bottom of your container. Mm-hmm. That's why you want a, a big container.
1: Um, with
0: it, With a raised bed, uh, you can you can just do it into the surface, like uh, 6 to, t- uh, to 12 inches would be fine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. you ever have trouble with root knot at all? With root the, root knot, uh, the nematodes. The, the nematodes. Nematodes, um, we haven't personally had trouble with the with the nematodes. Um, if you're growing in a container, you're probably not going to have so much problem with the nematodes. Uh, if you're in Florida and growing in the sandy soil that has a ton of nematodes, then you know you might need to deal with them um, in that, those situations. Yeah. All right, anything you want to add
1: to that? No, this is just a segue over into this next portion about pest and disease control. The two struggles that we had with our garden was water deprivation. So if we were either gone or if we failed to water them, they would get stressed with, with not having enough water, and then if we weren't on top of our fertilizer. And those two things, it's very, very easy for a patio garden or a small space garden to, for the plants to become stressed for one of those two reasons, and then immediately on the heels of stressed plants comes pests because they look for stressed plants. And so then it would transition into, OK, now we're having to deal with pests. But again, when pests appear, we still want to go back to the, the root cause of, hey, we stressed out our plants by not giving them enough water, or we've stressed out our plants by not giving them enough food. And so we would go back to those two things and address the, the, the issue at that level before we transitioned into then dealing with you know, the crisis at hand.
0: Yeah. So for example, um, with these ones, this is some kale and some, um, Japanese beetles that we had on our kale. And I really believe that the root cause of this was that our plants got stressed. Uh, they got water stressed and they also, this was before we were using the better fertilizer that we were using later. Um, and I'll show you a couple pictures. Um, so like, what do you do Well, I'll jump back to that. But um, we also ended up with a problem with these little worms coming on our plants. And there is, you can write this down, there's a product (laughs) called Dipel. It's an organic, um, it's a natural bacteria, Mm D-I-P-E-L. It's a natural bacterial powder. You mix it with water. You can spray it on your plants and when the... When the uh, worm eats it, it breaks down their digestive system, and so they can't eat anymore, and they die. Um, and so we used that on our plants, and it worked very effectively, um, but you can see this is what they do to the plants. Uh, you know, they just totally destroy So that was in our tower garden. We did that. We, we sprayed it with the, the dipel. That took care of the worms. We fertilized the plants, and we never had a single problem with those worms for the rest of the season um after that because you you give the plant that extra nutrient boost um to boost their system what would you do with larger pests
1: so here's kind of a pathetic story from our from our garden this past year our very first tomatoes of the season were coming on and we were super excited about it here they were they were beautiful we went out and we looked at them and we were like okay you know kind of counting down the days watching them ripen because you can pick tomatoes early and let them ripen you know indoors on your counter or whatever but they do not taste anywhere near as good as when you let them ripen on the vine right so we're waiting for them to ripen and I remember one time we came out of the out of the basement we were heading to work but we stopped and looked at our plants and we were like hey tomorrow is the day to harvest (laughs) these tomatoes we were really excited about it we left next morning I think we probably got home after dark that night next morning we come out of there There was not a sign of red anywhere on any of our tomato plants. And we're like Hello. I mean we're our our
0: (laughs) I was like, did a neighbor come and steal my tomato? No,
1: seriously, that was our (laughs) first thought, right? Because the house that we live in the basement of backs up to a golf course. So there's people going past the patio all day long. So we're like, somebody nabbed our tomatoes. Because we went, and the plants were completely undamaged, unharmed. No, you know, no appearance of them being wrenched or pulled by some creature. So first we were like, someone stole our tomatoes. Every single one that was ripening, all the green ones were left. Well, no, indeed. It was like, probably two days later, we found little pieces of skin. It was the deer. Which was amazing to us, because on the farm, the deer had never bothered the tomatoes. Other crops, maybe, but not tomatoes. But the deer had found those that night, and we were going to pick them the next day. And they came and, pl- and plucked, without damaging the plant, every single ripe tomato. So be aware that even, you know, stuff growing on your very steps is not necessarily safe. So you may have to take other precautions. Now, in the case of our tomatoes, what we ended up doing is the deer would come and target them basically the day before we wanted to pick them, and this happened a couple times. They were terrible creatures, so we <laughs> ended up we ended up taking the the patio furniture, and if it was just like the day before or maybe even two days before we were ready to pick those tomatoes, we would just put the the table and the chairs and just kind of hedge up, hedge up, put a little barrier. And, you know, the deer weren't brazen enough to, like, climb over it. Maybe in a more country location, they would try to jump. But mm-hmm. it's so close to the house and everything. It's kind of a natural barrier for them. And so just with the the, the the patio furniture, we would be able to harvest our own tomatoes. So get creative. You know, there are sometimes you may have to use patio furniture, maybe moving it up onto the deck. They probably wouldn't have climbed the stairs and gotten up onto the deck. Mm-hmm. Or netting, you can also use netting if that's if that's fine. Probably in our particular location, the homeowners association is really strict about the okay. external appearance of the house. So they probably wouldn't tolerate netting in our specific location. We did think about it. But be creative about what you can use also for you know larger pests like deer raccoons, Could I something, something like that. Well Dominate, that's a brilliant idea. Well, yeah. Brilliant idea. So for those of you in the back that couldn't quite hear, she has a, they have a fig tree, and they have just heard that if you hang a hummingbird feeder, and the hummingbirds are coming in and out from that fig tree that's hanging in the fig tree, the other birds will stay away because the hummingbirds dominate that area, and the other birds don't like that competition. And so it will protect the figs from the other birds as opposed to be, just because of the hummingbirds that won't damage. That's a, that's a really brilliant idea. Yeah. yeah.
0: So you do want to be careful with um, pests, but once again, uh, you, there, are, there are some things that you can deal with an insect pest immediately. Um, soapy water is another thing that you can spray on your insects that will take care of the insect um, immediately, or like with the worms, you can use Dipel. But then fertilize your plant, give it an immune boost, um, and water it well, keep it watered. Um, Weed control, good news is that it's not usually a problem um, with containers. You don't usually have much weed problems, um, but once again, mulching can be helpful. Here you can see our little rock mulch um, on our tomato plants. Do you put the regular mulch
1: underneath the rocks so they don't... Do
0: them over Yeah, no, these, this was just with the rocks. Now, yeah, no... No. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about, yeah, there's no mulch underneath the rocks. There's just rocks directly on. And it's a thick layer of rocks so that it creates a good mulch. Um, you know, I didn't notice a significant difference between the rocks and, like, the uh, bark chip type mulch that we used on the other one. Um, and I wouldn't worry about the temperature.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, but, you know, with the mulching, you definitely don't have to worry about weeds, and weeding in a container garden is not really much of a problem anyways. Um, what about composting? Uh, I'll just rush through this because our time is up. Uh, you can compost in a small area. Hey, look, you can see our spinach that we grew on the top of the uh, tower garden. There are composting tumblers that you can get for, uh, that work well for small spaces that you can use. Tower in this tower garden this tower garden center console is a composting tube that has um, holes in it where you can add worms to it and it creates a whole little ecosystem of its own so you put your compost scraps in there Um, you want to have a good uh, mix of browns and greens dry material and wet material and you put your worms in there, and it creates its own little, own little vermicomposting system where the worms come in and out and compost for you in the center there. And they carry the nutrients back out to the plants. So that is an excellent thing. Yeah, and then it produces worm castings that you can harvest later. Um, we are running out of time, so I will just jump through here. Um, Yeah, we are going to do a class on growing microgreens uh, tomorrow. So if you're interested in growing microgreens, they are one of our favorites for growing in a small area. These are the steps going down to our patio, um, to our apartment downstairs. And we would just put them on the steps and grow our microgreens out there. The microgreens have up to 40 times more nutrients than adult plants. You can harvest them in 14 days, so it's a real quick Quick crop, they grow anywhere. you can set them up. We'll teach you how to do our autopilot system, tray system, so you can just set it, forget it, come back, and harvest it later. And um, the other thing is that weight for weight, they are still less expensive to grow than to buy an adult the adult plant in the store. Like if you're going to buy kale in the store, it's still less expensive to grow kale microgreens uh, than to buy the kale in the store. So they are just positive all the way around, and we'll uh, talk more about them in a class tomorrow. And then, of course, harvest. Harvest is the fun part of um, growing. Enjoy the work of your hands. Um, If you're harvesting greens, you can harvest the outer greens and let the center of the greens grow more just to increase your harvest. Um, With tomatoes going into winter, When it comes to your frost, go out there and harvest all the tomatoes off of your plants and bring them inside because they'll ripen inside. They might not taste as nice as a vine-ripened one, but you still get tomatoes that you can eat. Um, So that's an extra little tip. Uh, These are eggplants and uh, pepper and greens that we grew in our patio. And, of course, enjoy your harvest. Enjoy the food that you grow. Um, So that is a quick rendition of uh, patio gardening.